Well, while you're standing, let's pray. Thanks, team. Give the uh, guys a hand. Let me just pray before I start. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. Thank you, God, that your word never returns to your void. It does what you're out to do. Pray this morning that we would open our hearts to hear you and to receive your word. And Lord, that you would do what you want to do this morning. Lord, we avail ourselves of that. We open our hearts to hear from you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you give someone a high five and grab a seat? High five, low five on the side. A few cheeky slaps going on. I see those cheeky slaps. Well, I've titled my message this morning, Stand Up. You just sat down, but that's okay. So it was a hot and humid Saturday morning in Sydney and I was standing on platform two waiting for my train, express train, from Ashfield into the city and I was about 22, so it was just yesterday. I don't know why you people are laughing. Um, I was really looking forward to my day, retail therapy, who loves retail therapy, shopping, bit of lunch, it was going to be good. The train I'd initially planned to catch had been cancelled, fancy that. And uh, so all the people who were to catch that train were waiting, and then there was the next lot of people came. So there was about 100 people on the platform. So I found a seat. I sat down, as you do with seats. The crowd was pretty quiet. You know how people are really quiet, keep to themselves. You've got your bubble. Don't get in my bubble. Then I noticed a family with two young children and a mum and a dad. The little girl was spinning around. She was about five or six, as little girls do. You know how girls do that? I love that. We don't have daughters, but I love watching little girls spin. I love watching indie worship in the mornings. It's just awesome. So she started to twirl around, and she bumped into this really tall man, and he got really mad. Things got messy. The man was, yeah, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I don't know who did that. That was good sound effects. I like it. So uh, things got really messy from that point. And what actually happened was this man let loose with an onslaught of uh, racist slurs and abuse. It's really awful. He was a loud, aggressive, offensive, what he said. And something had triggered inside of him and he'd actually snapped. It was like a snap, brain snap. And I watched in horror and disbelief at what happened. His family felt completely terrified powerless and ashamed and the little girl tucked into her dad and the dad sheltered the family as this man continued this abuse so by this stage I'm getting pretty angry as you would at the injustice and all the time this man is just yelling abuse at this family it's like you know words I never heard and have chosen to forget So I look around and I think to myself, why isn't anyone doing anything? You know how you do that? And I realised at that point that besides myself, this man is the only other Caucasian man on the whole platform. And so the crowd, actually, I realised that they identify with this family. So I finally realised I need to do something. You know that moment when you know it's me? (laughs) 
I can't sit her anymore. So if you don't know me, I'm a pretty quiet person most of the time. I'm not really into creating a public spectacle, but I knew I had to do something. So I stood up and I spoke up. And I must admit, the first words that came out of my mouth weren't exactly warrior princess words. <laughs> I, was, um, I think what I said was, I beg your pardon, which was good, because this man stopped and he said, I beg your pardon, which I thought, well, this is good because at least he's not abusing the family anymore. And I said, these people have just as much right to be here as you. What gives you the right to speak to them like this? Yeah. Woo! I know. It was the moment. So what I would, what I'd hoped would happen is he'd stop. But guess what? He didn't. So I became like the mosquito. You know when you go uh, camping and there's just that one mosquito in the tent and you think, this little guy's not going to ruin my night? And he does. So I became like a mosquito to this man, which is good. So to make a long story short, he continued his verbal abuse of this family and I continued my verbal challenges to him until finally he couldn't handle me anymore, which was good. He stopped the abuse and he turned to me and he waved his arm at me and he said, Ah, sit down, you commo! I thought, wait a minute, why don't you just call me? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can ask me later. So let me tell you, at that moment when he said, sit down, at that moment, this girlfriend is not sitting down. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Release the warrior princess. Yes. Release the lioness. Steve knows what I'm talking about. Yes, he does. <sighs> It was really funny when he said that. I thought, mate, there's one thing you should not have said to me, and that is sit down. You know, we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he's always telling us to sit down. Sit down, Felicity. You'll never be able to preach. You're too quiet. You're too shy. Something's wrong with you. No one will like you. You're not qualified. You don't have a doctorate in theology. No one will listen to you. Sit down. That's what my sit-down monologue sounds like. Maybe yours sounds like this. Sit down, honey. Give up on relationships. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not tall enough. You're not tanned enough. You're not blonde enough. You're not brunette enough. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. Sit down. Maybe your sit-down monologue sounds like this. Sit down, mate. You'll never be able to start your own business. You couldn't do school. You failed. How would you do that? No one would call you. You'll just make a fool of yourself. Sit down. But let me tell you this. We have a God in heaven who says stand up, right? Arise, get up, stand up. Take your stand, stand firm. That's what God is saying. Stand up. So our theme for this year is Arise. Ben's been preaching on it for the last few weeks. We just sang the song. We spent about a week looking at Isaiah 60, which talks about arising. 
And I believe it's time for us as a church to arise. Who's with me on that? Yeah. That one word, arise, is translated in the Hebrew as kum. Everyone say that, kum. And it's used 628 times just in the Old Testament, in the King James Version. And it means to rise, to arise, to stand up, to stand firm. So if that one word is used 628 times, it's pretty important, isn't it? It's important to God, should be important to us. Did you know that it's powerful when you stand up, when you arise, when you take your stand? The enemy wants you to stay sitting down, to lie down, to stay asleep, to stay in bed, because you pose no threat to him when you do that. That man wanted me to sit down that day, and I was not sitting down. And when we arise, when we get out of bed, when we shake ourselves out of our spiritual slumber, when we take our stand, which is in Christ, against the enemy, now he's in big trouble, right? So I want to talk to you today about three areas in our lives where we need to stand up and why it's so powerful to take our stand. Is that good? So first of all, stand up in your calling. Most of us would be familiar with the story of Saul, who became Paul in Acts 26. So Saul is this dude, he's on the way to Damascus and he's on his way to persecute Christians. And he has this up-close encounter with Jesus. I love that. And they are blinded and they fall to the ground. So let's look at this in Acts 26, 14 to 18. Guys, will pop it up on screen. So this is what Paul says. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, so Paul actually asks, who are you, Lord? He's a pretty uh, brave man. And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow. (laughs) I love what Jesus says next. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And the power of, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Saul and his companions are knocked to the ground. And then notice how Jesus says to Saul, get up, stand up on your feet. And that's when he receives his calling and his appointment from God. So I wonder why Jesus didn't just do it while he's lying on the ground. I think he needed to stand up to stand before God. There's a spiritual principle at work here that Saul must stand up before Jesus and then he receives his appointment. It's almost like a military officer standing before the general receiving their orders. What's interesting is in this um, standing before God, there's not just a receiving of the appointing but also a receiving of the anointing of God. 
And that's where the Spirit of God touches people and anoints them for what God's called us to do. You know, we can be um, called, but without that anointing, we can't do it, right? We need the Spirit to touch us. So we see this same principle in Numbers eleven sixteen to 17. We won't go there just because of time, but Moses, in this case, he's overwhelmed with the whining and the complaining of the people. How patient was Moses? He is the most patient man in the whole Bible, I think. This time the people are whining because all they have to eat is manna, the poor things. And so um, Moses says to God, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. I can't carry the burden of these people. So God gives him some instructions. He says to get the 70 elders to appear at the tent of meeting and he tells them to stand in that place. And that's really where their ordination happens. They stand with Moses, and God touches them, and he anoints them. He appoints them and anoints them to help Moses. So it's the same principle. They have to stand. They receive their appointment. They receive their anointing. Again, we see it in Numbers 27 as well. This is Joshua's ordination. So he succeeds Moses. The same principle. Joshua is commissioned while he stands before the priest and the congregation. And Moses lays hands on Joshua, which is a symbol of the transference of authority. And then so Joshua stands before God. He receives his appointment and he receives his anointing. So there's a spiritual principle. Can you see that here? That we need to stand before God to receive our appointing or our calling from God and then our anointing. So I want to encourage every person who's in the auditorium this morning that every one of you is called by God. Do you know that? No matter what your age, no matter what your background, you're called. You might be called to be a full-time mum, a teacher, um, a lab technician, a doctor, a builder, an electrician, a mechanic. I could go on forever. Whatever you're called to do, God's called you to do that. And we are all created in God's image to reflect his glory. So you are made for greatness. So I encourage you to ask God, what is that calling if you're not sure? Let him tell you. I love the fact too that it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? So whatever you're called to do, there will be some opposition. But when God is for you, no one can stop you if you know that. So, you know, many years ago when Marilyn spoke to me in my office and said that she and Kevin had encouraged me to apply for my provisional minister's credential at that point and that they would recommend me, I went back to God that night and I basically said, Lord, if you want me to do this, you need to give me a scripture, a really clear scripture that will help me to know this is you. Because that's what I needed. And, you know, we should only ever do anything because God tells us. Sounds pretty obvious, but we forget that sometimes. So I prayed that prayer and I hoped it would take about six to 12 months for God to answer me because I don't like to move too fast. The thinker, sorry, Ben. I like to move slow. The thinker, we process. So the following morning, everyone say the following morning, thanks God, he answered me straight away. I'm like, did you have to be so fast? 
He gave me such a clear scripture that I knew it was God. You know how God does that? You can't argue with him. Well, we can and we do. Sorry. But there's no point. So he gave me 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and I'd love it if uh, the guys could put that up for us. It just says this. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Yeah, I know. I couldn't argue. I literally got that the next day. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I can't argue with that. I'll just go back. Honestly, I've stood on that scripture so many times. It's not funny. So the first thing he said is, I've just called you. So stop arguing with me, Felicity. I'm like, okay. And then I love the second bit. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful. So often we have a list of excuses for why we can't do something. Have you noticed that? Or is it just me? The problem with those excuses is it's all about me. It's all about us. Our shortfallings, our weaknesses, our failures, our inadequacies. What if we made it all about him? (laughs) Hello. What if we made it all about his omnipotence, his strength, his power, his all-sufficiency, his grace, his love, his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness? What if we made it all about him? God reminded me at that moment, it's actually not about you, Felicity. It's about me, and it's never been about you. So just do it. And I went, okay. And then finally, I love this last bit, God will do it. He will do it. I depend on that promise every single day. There are days when I pray, God, I can't do this. You know what he says to me? I know. But I can do it through you. So all you have to do, John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, yes, I will remain in you. You can do all things and and you will be fruitful. And so that's my prayer. Thank you, God, that even though I feel like I can't do it, you will do it through me. Thank you that you're faithful, that you've promised you'll do it. I pray that I'd be a conduit, I'd be a, a vessel that God would work through me. And he does because he's faithful. And I'm so thankful for Marilyn and Kevin seeing that. So, um, yeah. So I'd encourage you today, if you're not sure what you're called to do, ask God to give you a word that you can stand on. I've stood on that word. I've argued with God. And that word's come back to me over and over again. So find a word you can stand on. Remember to stand up in your calling. The main thing I want to say to you today is stand up in the battle. You know, every one of us is engaged in a battle. But here's the thing. This is so important. Jesus has already won the war. Do you know that? So what we're doing in standing in the battle is we're actually taking our stand in Christ and we're appealing to a higher authority, which is Jesus, who won the war on our behalf at the cross. So do you want to hear the ending of the story at Asheville Station? I kind of left you hanging. I know you're all just like, tell us the ending, Felicity. (laughs) Well, finally, after what felt like eons of time, that means lots of time, of the man barraging this family and me 
verbally challenging him with no real uh, results and everyone else sitting in perfect silence. Finally, someone else, a lady sitting just over there, said, I think we need to take this to a higher authority. I think we need some extra help. And I thought, do you think? Because <laughs> I felt very alone for a long time. It's just me and this man. Anyway, so I gave the man an ultimatum. I said, now, are you going to stop this verbal abuse or do I need to go and speak to the SRA staff? And he just stopped for a minute and looked at me with disdain and said, as if to say, go ahead, sister, make my day. So I did. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but his face, you know, expressed that. So off I went down, downstairs to see the SRA member the guy behind the ticket window, and uh, he was a big guy. He was a unit. Can we say that? <laughs> he was a unit. He was so big, he had to look right down like this to see my little face, and I explained the situation to him. He was not excited about coming out of that uh, ticket box, I can tell you. Anyway, I uh, explained it. Eventually, he came out, and as he came out, I thought, this is awesome. This guy really is a unit. He was like six foot six. He was broad, looked like he did gym every day. I thought, excellent, bring in the tank, bring in the artillery, yes! This next bit always makes me laugh. So he gets halfway up the stairs, back up to the platform, and he looks at this guy and he goes, oh, that's Fred. We'll just call him Fred for the sake of this story. And um, if I say something to him, he's going to have a go at me. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, buddy. You're six foot six. I'm five five. I've been challenging for the last 10 minutes. So I, I just say to him, look, I've had a little chat with him. I'm sure you can too. And uh, so our reluctant six foot six hero goes up to the guy. He didn't really walk like this, but, you know, has a little chat. And he finally stops. He's silenced. Hallelujah. So here's the thing. I stood up. I took my stand, took my battle position. I appealed to a higher authority, our six foot six hero, and he silenced the noisemaker. So when we take our stand, when we stand in his authority, the enemy has nothing against us. And you know, the enemy is a noisemaker. He makes a lot of noise, doesn't he? Smokes and mirrors, noise. But what you have in Christ is everything because he defeated Satan at the foot of the cross. So many of you might be familiar with Ephesians 6. Let's have a look at that. Are you all good? Good. You're listening. That's good. I want want you to take note of how many times Paul in this passage says to stand, to stand firm, to take our stand. So Paul writes this from prison. It's pretty amazing. And he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then 
with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So did you count how many times Paul says to stand or stand up? Four, that's right. Excellent. (laughs) Very good. Paul says take your stand, stand your ground, stand and stand firm. So let's uh, switch it up to 21st century now. Apparently if you Google this, lightsaber battles are a thing. Did you guys know that? Dan knows that. (laughs) Ben, did you know that? Ben didn't know that. So if you're wondering what a lightsaber is, just think um, Luke Skywalker and Star Wars. I'm not very good at it, can you tell? So, for example, in San Diego, there is a group called the Underground Lightsaber Fighters. Did you know about that, Dan? Did you know about that one? Once a month, they host a lightsaber tournament. Now, who'd be in for that? Come on, put up your hands, guys. Come on. Come on, Josh. No? I would be. Oh, come on. I think it'd be fun. Are you guys too cool for that, are you? Too cool. All right, Steve and I'd be in for it. So when we switch back to Ephesians 6, why doesn't Paul say, take a sword and jab the devil in the ribs, smite him, dismember him? Why doesn't Paul say that? The reason is because Jesus already did that at the cross. There's no need to do it. Colossians 2, 14 to 15, I'd love you to put that up on, a, on screen for us. I love this scripture. It says, the record of debt that stood against us, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How cool is that? So when Christ died for our sins, Satan was completely disarmed. That means he has no weapons anymore. Did you know that? He was defeated. The one eternally destructive weapon that Satan had in his hand was his accusation against us. However, Jesus completely nullified that. He abolished that accusation on the cross which means that Satan and his dirty crew no longer have any weapons. I think we forget that. Colossians 2.15 in the Passion Translation. Who loves the Passion Translation? Pretty cool. It's good to look at scripture in a new light. This is what this says. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. Stripping away from them every weapon, every weapon, and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. Wow. I love the visual that's painted here. So Satan was made into a public spectacle. Can you picture that? He was stripped of every weapon and all spiritual authority. And he was led around 
like a prisoner in triumphal procession. So Jesus wasn't the prisoner on the cross. Here's the, here's the amazing thing, the way God works. He actually put Satan there by defeating death and defeating sin. So back to Ephesians 6, this is why Paul doesn't tell us to smite the enemy. Cut off his head. Smite him. I love that word, smite. Smite. One of my favorite words. It's because it's already been done at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And we're going to remember that in a couple of weeks with Easter. That Jesus did that for you and I because he loves us so much. So all we need to do now is stand. Stand in the battle. Stand. Take your stand. I encourage you this week. Put on the full armor of God and stand. Whatever's going on in your life, that's what God calls us to do, stand. So we don't run forward to slay the enemy. He's already been slain. We don't need to run back and be afraid. He's been slain. We just take our stand. We stand firm in Christ, in what he's done. Hallelujah. That deserves a praise party. Woo! I'll do it if you don't. It's all good. I've lost my spot now. (laughs) It's the praise party. I've found this to be so true for so many years. God just tells me over and over again, just stand, Felicity. Just stand. That's all you need to do, stand. And I know that you have too because you're here in church today. That tells me that you know how to stand in a battle. And Good on you for doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. This is my spiritual position. It's in Christ. It's not in Felicity. It's in Christ. It's in his authority. I'm covered by his righteousness. It's part of the armor of God. That breastplate of righteousness, it covers your heart. Why is it so important that my heart is protected? Because of the lies of the enemy. You know, those little bullying bullets that he sends your way, those snubs. How do I protect myself from those? Breastplate of righteousness, I'm righteous in Christ. I give it to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. Those things will not sting. They will not take a hold of me. Why? Righteousness of Christ. Not mine, his. That's the authority that we have. That's what allows us to keep walking, keep standing. There are so many scriptures in the word about standing up. Can I hit you with a few of them? I'll be gentle, I promise. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom. Everyone say freedom, that Christ has set us free. Freedom, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. In this passage, Paul's writing into the Galatians and they've gone back to the law. His group of people are coming and they've obscured the whole gospel and they've thought they need to lean on the law. And Paul says, no, 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 you are saved by grace. That's the freedom that you have. Don't lean on the law. Lean on Christ. Stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, be strong, be strong. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. I love this one. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. 
and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I love that. Who makes us stand firm? Who helps us? It's God. God will make us stand firm in Christ. We just need to rely on him. God is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He will do it. It's great to know that in the battle, I don't have to run and fight. I just have to stand. And some of you are in a battle right now. I know you are. Can I encourage you? Stand. Keep standing. Trust God's faithfulness because he is faithful. I'd love the worship team to join me now for this final thought. So my final thought is this. Stand up in your worship. You probably know this story really well. I love the story described in 2 Chronicles 20 of King Jehoshaphat. It's a really hard word to say, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has a little problem. It's actually a big problem. And it's in the form of a vast army of Moabites and Ammonites and men from Mount Seir. And he's heard word that they're coming to get him. And they are. (laughs) And so he freaks out, as you would. And he appeals to God. And God speaks through Jehaziel. The Spirit of the Lord comes on Jehaziel. And this is what Jehaziel says in 2 Chronicles 20, 15 to 17. He says this. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. What I love about this is verse 15 where it says, the battle is not yours but God's. Isn't this true for us so often? And then in verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give to you. I wonder how often we fight a battle and God says, this isn't your battle to fight, this is mine. How often do we get involved in battles and God just says, just take your stand and worship and God will do the rest. Because if you know the rest of the story, that's exactly what happens. King Jehoshaphat gets this great idea. He sends the worship team up in front of the army. So uh, Mikey and Ainsley leading the worship. Sam, Piper and Kathy coming up behind with uh, Clive on bass and uh, David on electric guitar and Dan on the drums with a military beat. I love a military beat. And they begin to sing and to praise God. Picture that. And before you know it, the Lord sets an ambush against the Ammonites and the Moabites and the people of Mount Seir. 
disperse the Moabites and the Ammonites, annihilate the men from Mount Seir. And then I love this bit. And then they turn and annihilate each other. Only God could do that. And when the men look out there, they see just dead bodies. And it takes three days to clean up the plunder. When God deals with your enemy, you don't need to worry. Just stand back and see the deliverance. All the army had to do was take their positions, stand firm, and witness the deliverance that the Lord gave to them. But the worship team went ahead, singing and praising God. I want to encourage you to stand up in your worship. Did you know that worship is powerful? It's a weapon. It's a weapon in your hands. You don't have to wait to Sunday to worship. You can worship in the shower. I have some great worship sessions in there. You can worship when you're driving. Probably keep your eyes open. You can worship at work while you're selling things to people because it's the attitude of the heart. But it's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. All we need to do is recognize that battle belongs to the Lord. Stand. Take your position in Christ. Let him take care of your enemies. So stand up in your calling, stand up in the battle, stand up in your worship. The enemy will always tell you, sit down, but God says stand up. So will you stand up with me this morning? Wriggle your uh, bones. Apologies, we've gone over time. I just want to pray for two groups of people this morning. So I'd love everyone to close their eyes for the sake of privacy. You might be here this morning and you might say, I don't know who this Jesus is you're talking about. But I've got a feeling that he's got me here this morning for a reason. You know, 30 years ago, I gave my life to Christ in Ashfield in a flat. A friend led me to the Lord. And honestly, it was, it was the best decision I've ever made. I've never regretted that. Because immediately I found my identity in Christ. I found my destiny in him. I knew I was woven into the family of God. So I don't know everyone here today. You may or may not have a relationship with Jesus. But if you would say today, I want to make that decision. I would love you just to put your hand up high enough and long enough that I can see it. And we're going to pray together for you. I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to come out the front. Is there anyone today who would like to do that? Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, that's your heart to draw us to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that when we found you, we found a home. I pray that this house would be a house of salvation, that many would come into your kingdom, Lord, in response to you. We're so grateful that you love us, that you saved us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I'd just love to pray for everyone while you're in an attitude of prayer. If that message... Uh, spoke to you, if you related to some part of that, if you felt like God has been saying stand up or stand up again, if you felt knocked down by the enemy, I'd love to pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. This is you doing business with God. But I'd love to pray for you. So I'm just going to pray now. Father God, I thank you that you love us and you call us to arise, to stand up, to take our stand in you and that when we do that we thank you God that the battle belongs to you 
Thank you, Lord, that you've already won the war when you sent Jesus to the cross. And so we're so grateful for that. And we, we choose, Lord, to trust in you and your faithfulness, to trust in you, God. Lord, help those today that would say, gosh, it's hard to stand. Pray that they would be aware of your presence, Lord, helping them to stand. And that we as a church family would gather around people and help them to stand. Thank you, God, we can do it in your strength. Thank you, Jesus. Bless every person and every household today. Thank you, Jesus.